The Most Dangerous Game, written by Richard Connell in 1924, is a fictional short story about a big game hunter who falls overboard while he's out on a yacht near the Caribbean and swims to a nearby island. Once he makes it to shore, he soon finds out that a bored and rich aristocrat is using one of the islands as his own personal hunting ground to track and kill anybody unfortunate enough to wash up on dry land, even providing them with food, clothing, a knife, and a three-day head start. The hunter is convinced that the last true thrill in life is to track and kill that which can be hunted back. Human beings. The story inspired three friends who would in the early 1980s go on to invent the game Paintball, taking the homicidal part of hunting your friends for sport and adding the chance to absolutely own them with impunity in a game of woods ball. It's also a piece of fiction that had already inspired a real-life serial killer, the Zodiac, out in California in 1969, who even mentioned the story by name in one of his infamous letters to the media. Robert Hansen is another name that is unfortunately synonymous with the most dangerous game. Hansen, like so many other depraved and dangerous people who see no value in human life, would take out his sexual frustrations and hang-ups on sex workers and exotic dancers, betting that the odds that someone would notice their disappearances would be slim. He'd fly them out to his cabin in the middle of the Alaskan woods, either with the promise of paid sex out there or straight up by force, and Hansen would hunt, rape, and kill some 17 women out in those woods, and some 30 more that he would rape and let go free after he was done with them, even flying them back into town. He did this over a 10-year period, still finding time to get married, raise two children, open up a bakery, and become known around town as an excellent marksman and hunter. So here we are, neck deep in depravity once again at the human delicatessen. Nine times out of ten, we always seem to gravitate back to serial killers and murderers, I understand that. But it's not that this is where I'm the most comfortable, but there's just such a staggering number of bad people out there, and again... I've kind of made it my purpose to help scratch that macabre itch that we all have. So let's settle in in one more time so I can lay down the account of Robert Hansen, the butcher baker. Robert Christian Hansen was born to parents Christian and Edna Hansen in Esterville, Iowa on February 15, 1939, actually just about a week from now. His father, Christian, was a baker and a Danish immigrant. An authoritarian, Christian was a domineering force in Robert's childhood. And Robert would look for solace and peace from his dad in hunting and archery, both of which he would nurture and become quite good at over the years. Robert was also scrawny, introverted, and shy, and he had a bad stutter and even worse acne that would leave his face pockmarked and scarred for the rest of his life. His quiet and sheepish disposition, speech impediment, and skin condition did little to make him popular with the ladies during his teenage and adult years, and he developed a hatred for girls, especially the most attractive ones, and he would often fantasize in acts of cruelty and revenge on them. In 1957, Robert enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserves, and from what I was able to gather, uh, it was without note, and he was discharged honorably at the end of his enlistment. A year later, he would work as a drill instructor for the police academy in Pocahontas, Iowa. And it was during that period that he met a girl who was in her late teens, and they married in, uh, I think it was right, 1960. But the marriage didn't last very long because that same year, Robert was arrested for arson when he and a friend of his set fire to an indoor garage where the local school buses were parked and stored. Robert would be sentenced to three years and would ultimately spend 20 months in prison. His young wife, whose name I couldn't find out, 
actually quickly wised up the kind of future she would be anchored to by staying married to this guy. So she drew up paperwork in a heartbeat and divorced him while he was uh, just getting incarcerated. And the whole marriage from beginning to end was less than six months. In 1963, just a few months after he was actually released, Robert was once again married to a religiously devout woman named Carla, uh, sorry, Darla Henriksen. I can't find an account of how they met, and Darla has been understandably very private after the full extent of Robert's crimes were exposed. So, since they were married just months after his release, I, I kind of have to wonder if she was the type of person who might have been open to starting a correspondence with, the, with him with this romantic idea that she could rehabilitate him once he was released. I'd like to go into the psychology of what entices men or women to open themselves up to those types of relationships, but like I said, I can't find out how Robert and Darla met exactly, so instead, I won't veer too off track today with speculation and stick to what we do know about the case. Robert would still continue to get in trouble and be in and out of jail a few more times after they were married, most of the time for, for petty theft. Now, Pocahontas in Iowa is a, is a real small town, and it's been getting smaller almost every year since the 1990s. And back in 1967, the population was just barely 2,000 residents. I, I think according to the census, it was like 2,011 people living there. Uh, with a town that small, word got around that Robert was a pretty shifty dude, and he had a reputation built uh, for thievery that he had, of course, made himself. So... After some conversation, he and Darlin decided to pack up their lives and relocate to Anchorage, Alaska for a fresh start. On the surface, things were looking pretty good for them. Robert opened up his own bakery, following in some capacity in his father's footsteps, and, and Darla, who had a master's in education, would work from home, teaching and working with children with special needs. Robert took flying lessons and would become a pilot. He bought his own bush plane, a, a Piper P-18 Super Cub, which is a, a two-seat, single-prop engine that is primarily flown for, for crop dusting and, and towing banners in the air, and is built for being able to land in rough terrain where there isn't a manufactured landing strip available. He also became known as a popular hunter in the area, breaking records for hunting doll sheep, uh, which look a little bit like mountain goats, as well as wolves and bears. Particularly, his weapons of choice were a rifle and a hunting bow. You could almost be fooled into thinking that Robert had indeed been rehabilitated, that it was until 1972 when he was arrested for abduction and attempted rape of an unnamed housewife and for the actual rape of an anonymous prostitute. He pled no contest to assault with a deadly weapon, and the charges with the sex worker were dropped as part of a plea deal, where Robert served six months and was put on a work release program. Darla, the dutiful, and faithful wife that she was, stood by his side during the trial and his, during his short incarceration. Afterwards, after his release, the two were seen attending weekly church services very often, For which for Robert, to me, in my opinion, has anything but, was, was, was anything but a genuine attempt at repentance on his part. He just didn't want to learn his lesson, and he was picked up again in 1976 for choplifting a chainsaw. He'd be sentenced to five years for larceny, but when he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and prescribed lithium, his sentence was reduced and he was released on time served, even though he was never actually ordered to take the medication. The thing is, I think that after the extremely light sentence he got for the attempted rape of the housewife and the actual rape of the prostitute, 
he'd already gotten a taste for that sort of business, if you know what I mean, and he felt emboldened to take it a little bit further. Robert would hunt and prey on women between 1973 and 1983, later claiming to have murdered 17 women and raping some 30 more who would survive the encounter. He would primarily target sex workers and erotic dancers. In the more remote regions of the country, including Alaska, women who work those types of professions will sometimes travel every so often to set up shop at a new town or a new city, with the idea that fresh faces mean a fresh batch of clientele. I really had no idea that this was a thing until a friend of mine who used to do a lot of private security work would tell me how even uh, some adult film actresses or porn stars might go into a sort of tour to be a featured dancer at high-class gentlemen's clubs across the country. And just to be fair, it's not my direct intention to speak of exotic dancers and sex workers in the same category as if they're interchangeable professions. I'm simply speaking to them together because Robert's victims were primarily known to be working as one or the other. He would often convince them to fly out to the Alaskan wilderness in his plane uh, to a cabin that he'd had, and he'd use that as his, as f to use them at that location for his sexual fantasies. Or he would abduct them outright by gunpoint and fly them out there. If they played along and behaved, he'd fly them back into town and let them go in some cases. But if they didn't play along, if they resisted or demanded money for sex, they wound up being one of the unfortunate 17. In those cases, he'd make them strip naked and hunt them in the woods with a knife or a hunting rifle, just like they would describe in The Most Dangerous Game. The first indication of a killer in the area was in 1980, when a woman's body was found by road construction workers. She'd been stabbed to death. Her identity was never found out, and she was nicknamed Eklutna Annie as part of the road her body was found on, which was Eklutna Road, and pardon my pronunciation if that's off. About a year later, the body of Joanna Messina was found in a gravel pit near Seward. Sherry Morrows, uh, a topless dancer in the area, was found 10 months later when she was found in a shallow grave by some hunters in the woods. By that point, the Alaskan PD knew they had something major on their hands, so they set up a task force and reached out to the FBI for an assist. In 1983, Robert sent his wife and his two kids on a European trip so he could start bringing his victims home for a while instead of only flying them out to the woods. That was his, his method, that was his thought behind that, was to have him at home to save him the trip once in a while. During that time, he would run singles ads in the local newspapers searching for women, and he would also respond to other thinly disguised classifieds that solicited sex services. Earlier, when I mentioned that Robert had committed approximately 30 rape attacks, this was numbers given by his own admission, and these numbers came from either from women he took out of the woods and flew back, or by some of the women in the classified ads. It comes as no surprise that essentially none of those victims ever came forward uh, after the fact, even when it really hit the news. In uh, 1983, Robert abducted, this was in June, Robert abducted 17-year-old Cindy Paulson after she took him up on her offer, his offer to pay her $200 for oral sex. However, when she climbed in his vehicle, Robert pulled a gun on her and drove her to his home where he would abuse her sexually and physically throughout the night. And again, this is when his, his wife and his kids were over on a European trip. Then, after he would have his way with her, he decided he needed to take a nap, and he chained her up to a bed in the house's basement and crashed on a nearby couch for about an hour. He would later unchain her and drive her out to the hangar where his plane was parked, but 
Cindy saw a chance for freedom when she was when he was busy loading the cockpit and thinking on her feet, she kicked off one of her shoes to leave his evidence and bolted out of his car and ran for the street. Robert took off after her, but Cindy was able to flag down a passing truck and get to safety before he could even get close. The driver delivered Cindy to a hotel where she ran inside to call the police, who met with her a little while later and she was still looking disheveled, still barefoot, and still wearing the handcuffs. Cindy was able to get enough of a description to peg Robert as her abductor, but when the Anchorage PD questioned him, he denied being involved and claimed that she was lying to extort him for money. Apparently, his weak demeanor and his flimsy alibi were enough to convince the crack team of officers assigned to the case because he was not considered a serious suspect and was released. However, the task force was still at work and that little misstep didn't last that long now that Robert Hans's name was on the list. FBI agent John Douglas had put together a profile on the supposed killer, suspecting that they would likely be an experienced hunter who knew the territory and perhaps even owned a small plane. It was also speculated that the, that the suspect would have low self-esteem, possibly suffering from a speech impediment or a stutter, and had a history of being rejected by women, and would probably be keeping souvenirs from his victims like jewelry or articles of clothing. That's why criminal and forensic psychology is, to me, one of the most fascinating disciplines to work in, and has made so many important advances in understanding the mind of a killer. So. The Anchorage PD got their paperwork together, and with the help of Sidney Paulson's testimony and the FBI profile, which was absolutely on the effing money, they were able to gain a search warrant for Robert's house, vehicle, plane, uh, and his little shack or his little cabin in the woods on October 27th of 1983. The search of his house uncovered several pieces of jewelry and IDs from various victims that he had kept as well as newspaper clippings that all covered the murders and disappearances that were known to the public. Hidden behind his bed was an aeronautical chart that was mapped with 37 little X's marked on it, some of which led to the discovery of human remains. Others were either locations of where attacks had taken place or where bodies had once been present but may have been carried away by wild, an by wild animals. Of the 37 X marks, and with Robert's eventual confession and the trophies he kept, the authorities were able to confirm the following. Celia Van Zanten, Megan Emmerich, and Mary Kathleen Thill, all of whom Robert denied killing, were all found according to X's on the map. Eklutna Annie, the nickname given to the unknown woman who had been stabbed to death and left in a shallow grave off Eklutna Road, was never fully identified. Joanna Messina, who didn't he didn't specify how he killed her, but he left her in a gravel pit nearby. Roxanne Easlin, who he admitted killing, was never found, but the X was left on the map location that he pinpointed. Lisa Futrell was found south of Old Nick Bridge. Sherry Morrow was also found in a shallow grave near the Nick River. She'd been shot in the back, but was likely, partially, likely nude or partially nude at the time of her death because she had no bullet holes in the clothing that she was found in, suggesting that she was redressed before Robert dumped her body. Andrea Altieri, uh, X marked and pointed out on the map, but body was never found. Sue Luna, who reports who Robert said was one of the victims he stripped nude and forced to run through the forest while he hunted her, was also shot to death. Robin Pelkey, 
who had been nicknamed Horseshoe Harriet until her identity was finally discovered via forensic genealogy in 2020. Delyn Frey, her body was found on a sandbar on the Nick River by another pilot who was out testing their new tires. Paula Golding, who was also found on the Nick River in a shallow grave. Like Sherry, she'd also been shot in the back, apparently while nude, and later redressed. Angela Federn, her body was found at Figure Eight Lake. And Tamara, Tamara Peterson, yeah, found 1.5 miles from Old Nick Bridge, where Lisa Futrell's body would not be found until 10 days later. When Robert was taken into custody later that same day in October, he would initially deny any involvement, and then he figured when that wasn't going to hold up anymore, he tried to paint this picture that his actions were justified, that the women were all uh, at fault, that they had attempted to extort or blackmail him for money, that he was more or less defending himself from wrongdoing. Eventually, he would confess to 17 murders in total, including the most recent, that Paula Golding, who heartbreakingly was killed and found in September of 83, uh, just three months after Cindy Paulson had barely escaped. More troubling still is that Robert admitted that in 1971, before his first known murder, he had undergone somewhat of a crime spree, raping in a large but unknown number of young women. These, he would say, were why some of the exes marked on the map had not led to any remains. They were locations where he had brought those victims in order to brutalize them. After the arrest and subsequent investigations, Alaska State Troopers took Hansen on a helicopter flyover in the woods, and he would point out areas from memory where an attack had occurred or a body had been buried, which shows you how important these locations were to him. The identity of some of the others, or the other remains are, are still unknown, even to Hansen, because there was, like I said, 37 X's on that map, and only 17 bodies, I think, found. Hey, remember what I said earlier? The biggest problem in this area, uh, in, in regards to this case, is, is sex workers and exotic dancers would travel for work, drifting from city to the next. Unfortunately, statistically, they might have often been runaways, or otherwise didn't have a close circle of friends or family that would notice their immediate absence or report their disappearance. It's one of the reasons why I personally think that prostitution be, should be made completely legal. Sex workers are targeted, abused, beaten, and killed by their pimps and clients like Robert to take uh, advantage of their almost lack of identity in some cases. If the world's oldest business were allowed to run like a legitimate business, it would at the very least give those workers a safer work environment. Uh, but perhaps most important, even if it's a little off topic, I think allowing sex workers to run a legit business with permits and licenses might also do a lot to take the power away from human traffickers who funnel women and young girls and boys into this country to be hustled around the sex trade against their will. In February 1984, Hansen pled guilty to four counts of first-degree murder and for the raping and kidnapping of Cindy Paulson and was sentenced to 461 years life without the possibility of parole. Charges for the remaining murders were dismissed since he had already he was already guaranteed to spend the rest of his life in prison and it only cost the taxpayers more money to, to see them all through trial. As a condition of a plea bargain to avoid the death penalty, Robert cooperated with investigators and took them to the total of those 17 grave sites, all in and around uh, the south central Alaskan area. 
12 of which of those remains uh, the authorities weren't even previously aware of and they also weren't even marked on the map. Curiously, there were some of the X's that led to other human remains that, for some reason or another, Robert would still deny being involved with, and those remains couldn't be identified. Hansen was uh, initially imprisoned at the U.S. Penitent Penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. He was transferred to Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seward, Alaska in the, in the late 80s, which is where he stayed until he died of natural causes in 2014. Robert had killed 17 victims at the very least and suspected of at least 21. Of those, 12 of them were eventually exhumed and returned to their families for proper burial. His wife Darla and his two children had to pack up and leave Anchorage for a few years after the trial because of the stigma surrounding their family. Darla would remarry eventually and the family made every effort to maintain their privacy. Darla would speak publicly in regards to Robert very seldomly but she would say that even though they were married, that they did they lived separate lives. She knew that Robert saw prostitutes regularly, and had suspected that his sometimes secretive nature and abrupt flights of the cabin were nefarious, but she would have no clue as to the extents. It's an unfortunate truth that sex workers are popular targets of rape and murder. They're often overlooked by the authorities because of the inherent dangers associated with their profession and because the list of likely suspects is significantly larger and harder to track down when their primary service is to have sex with strangers for money. If we consider the psychology of it, another reason why sex workers are often targeted is because the rapist or murderer in question more than likely already has pre-existing feelings of hatred and or inferiority about the opposite sex perhaps from his parents or a childhood experience or trauma. And the most obvious outlet for their anger that perfectly epitomizes the source of their rage is a, at women whose main profession or side job is at delivering carnal pleasure. For example, in 2018, Juan David Ortiz was a serial killer and border patrol agent that killed four women, all sex workers, within a single month in Laredo, Texas. During his confession, he expressed his utter hatred for prostitutes as the reason for his action. Perhaps you've heard the term incel, which stands for involuntary celibate. Incels are usually straight white males that have convinced themselves that they're incapable of having a romantic or sexual relationship because society has deemed them undesirable. They blame and hate attractive women for not finding them to be acceptable mates, and they blame and hate handsome and physically attractive men for hogging all the women. And they, they rant online about the master plan to round up all the jocks and the alpha males of the world to subjugate or kill them uh, so that the women would be forced to mate with them instead due to a sheer lack of options. I'd hazard to guess that monsters like Robert Hansen and these so-called incels have the same or, or very similar origin story and anger, hatred, or disgust for the opposite sex due to their low self-esteem. The reason for their self-imposed celibacy has more to do with their attitude and personality than anything else. The world just didn't decide to make them you know, perpetually single, but that's itself as a topic for another episode. But you might want to flick some holy water around your house this week, or maybe burn some sage, because... Next Sunday, we're going to do a deep dive on the Satanic Panic. 
Rumors and unsubstantiated claims of ritual sacrifice and a sadistic abuse by cloak and dagger devil worshippers gripped the nation in the 1980s, putting fear in the hearts of the general public that, behind any closed door, members of a global satanic cult made up of powerful and wealthy world elite as well as everyday working class Americans were kidnapping children for the purpose of ritual sacrifice, pornography, and prostitution. Businesses were shuttered and lives were ruined when the burden of proof was tossed out of the window when some folks realized that a complete lie could overwhelm the truth as long as enough people insisted so. We'll discuss the biblical concepts of Lucifer as well as the contemporary concepts of the devil himself that people have blamed for the historic Salem witch trials and the more even the more recent Pizzagate incident. Remember to like and subscribe and share with the Human Delicatessen podcast and any social media sites that you guys use most. You can find and follow me on Facebook for updates and upcoming episodes and email me at humandelipodcast at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or comments about previous or upcoming episodes. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving me a listen. I saw my viewership numbers take a dive after I took that two-month break and I'm, I'm hoping to redeem myself to see those numbers get back up again. Be safe, stay warm, and continue to be excellent to each other. I'll see you guys again next week.